be recording this. It may be posted at some time in the future, um, but we just wanted to let you know that you may be recorded. So hi everyone and welcome to Biotech Clubhouse. My name is Susanna Harris and I'm one of the moderators for this club. Uh, we will have some time at the end to open up Q&A and we do ask that you fill out your bio on your page as much as possible to help us choose who to pull up on stage. So as you're listening, take a little bit of time to hop over to your page, make sure it says who you are and that we can see you and say, oh, this is a great person to have and, and contribute to the conversation. Uh, as you probably saw, the hand raising is disabled until the point where we open it up to the audience. Um, and please take a moment to follow us as a club here and on Twitter if you haven't already so that you never miss a session. Our handle on Twitter is at biotechch, all one word. Uh, and so it is my pleasure to introduce our host, Rob Perez. I'm like, you can maybe hear the, the laugh in my voice because Rob, I looked you up on LinkedIn before this and I was like, how am I going to do uh, an intro in a paragraph? Because Rob holds <laughs> so many, I was like, these are all present. This is, this is out of date. Um, Rob holds so many different titles. He is an operating partner at General Atlantic, the executive chairman of, uh, is it Alkali or Achille Interactive? Achille. Achille, Achille, Achille. yes and sits on the board of directors for multiple other companies. Uh, but tonight, Rob is coming to us as his role as the founder and chairman of an organization called Life Science Cares. Life Science Cares is dedicated to helping life science companies give back to their communities to eliminate the impacts of poverty. It's a really fantastic initiative. Um, a lot of us got to sit in and listen to their annual breakfast this this past Monday, uh, and that's also how we got our guest. But Rob, I will let you take it from here and introduce our guest for the evening. Awesome. Thank you very much, Susanna, and uh, thanks everybody for joining us. Um, just two seconds on Life Science Cares for those of you who don't know. Um, Life Science Cares is an organization that essentially aggregates resources from the life sciences community. Uh, and we define life sciences kind of writ large, anybody that has anything to do with the life sciences community. And we take those resources, both human and financial, and deploy them through the most effective nonprofits doing work in three areas, uh, both, yeah, relative to poverty. Uh, nonprofits doing work in basic human survival, in education, and in economic sustainability. So. Um, if you're looking, as we talk about purpose today, if you're looking for a way to have a vehicle for your purpose and you're in the biotech community, then Life Science Cares is for you. But we'll talk a little bit about that more later. Uh, right now, I want to introduce our very, very special guest. For those of you that were a part of our Impact Breakfast, you got a little taste of Afdel Aziz um, during that. But uh, I really was excited about bringing him uh, to our, our community and giving folks a chance to get to know Afdel. Afdel is one of the most respected voices in the global movement of business as a force for good. He is the co-founder and chief purpose officer of Conspiracy of Love, a global brand purpose consultancy with Fortune 500 clients like Adidas and Unilever and um, Pepsi and, and many others. He's also the co-author of just an amazing book called Good is the New Cool, Market Like You Give a Damn. We're going to talk a little bit about that as well as his new book, Good is the New Cool, The Principles of Purpose, uh, today. So, Afdel, thank you so much for being here and welcome. Uh, Rob, thank you so much for having me on my very first clubhouse. I've never done this before. I'm a newbie uh, and I can't think of uh, a better group of people to come in and do it with. 
Well, thanks for being here. Um, again, uh, I think this is a topic that many of us um, are very, very interested in, and I know you can provide a lot of insight. So first, before we get going, I think it'd be great for people to just get to know you a little bit. Tell, give us a little bit about your background and kind of why, what led you to doing this kind of work? Sure, yeah, so uh, very quick bio. I'm originally from Sri Lanka, I, I grew up there, uh, and then I proceeded to live in a bunch of different places, London and New York, and, and currently in Los Angeles. Uh, I spent the first half of my career in marketing, uh, working for Procter & Gamble, and Nokia in London, Heineken and Absolute Vodka in New York, uh, doing very glamorous marketing things, you know, with music and pop culture. But somewhere along the way, I started to feel a, a lack of meaningfulness in the work I was doing. Um, you know, I, I had a son. I now have a seven-year-old son. And for those of you with kids, you know, sometimes that's a moment where you start to look at your life and your legacy and, and the, the example you're setting for them. And that gradually that itch began to become bigger and bigger. Um, and, and I scratched that itch uh, by writing a book, the first book, Good is a New Cool, with my good friend and co-author and now business partner, Bobby Jones. We were both kind of frustrated marketers going, is this it? Is our, our life's legacy that we're just going to help people buy more you know, beer or vodka? Um, and when Good is a New Cool came out in 2016, which was an exploration of the, at that point, kind of nascent idea that a brand should do something good in the world. Um, that was really the thing that changed everything. Uh, we both quit our jobs in corporate life uh, and we decided to just commit to uh, fueling this incredible purpose revolution that's going on as best as we could. We do that through Conspiracy of Love, which is the purpose consultancy and we're privileged to work with a number of Fortune 500 companies and brands in every different sector internationally um good is the new cool is now a, uh, a community at good is a new cool.com it's a series of four virtual conferences that we we bring together people from corporations from nonprofits, from culture um it's a very warm inclusive place of people who are just hungry for the idea of doing good um and i write for forbes as well which has given me an excellent excuse to just go and be nosy and poke around companies and learn about people doing really interesting things. So I'm, I'm very privileged to, to have a life that is built around purpose and meaning and trying to help others go on their own journey as well. Awesome. Um, so let's talk, let's talk a little bit about purpose. Um, what are we really talking about here? What is purpose um, in, in, your in your work and how does it differ from like CSR, or ESG, or all the other acronyms that, that we think about sometimes associated with this. Yeah, so the, the best analogy that we've been able to come up with is that, you know, doing good in companies has, has existed in different forms in different departments, right? So it's always been siloed. Um, CSR, it's helpful to think about it in terms, almost in terms of the different stakeholders, right? So CSR is how a company quote unquote, does good towards its community. Um, cause marketing, as it used to be called, is how it could do some good for its consumers or with its consumers. Uh, sustainability is doing good for the planet. Diversity and equality is doing good for its employees. Um, you know, ESG is how it thinks about doing good towards, you know, in, in regard to its 
stocks if it's a publicly listed company. So it's been scattered around companies at different stages at different times, but it's now kind of almost coalescing into this bigger movement that somehow the umbrella term has become purpose. Um, and that's where our view is that uh, purpose is now the idea that a, a business or a company should have more than a, a profit goal as its reason to exist, more than just making money. Mm -hmm. um, it should have a higher order reason to exist, you know, to aim for through which to make money. And by the way, the, the, the fascinating correlation is between purpose-driven companies and profitability, you know, but it, it's the idea that a company should have a North Star that is aspirational it should have um, a higher order reason to exist that energizes its consumers, its employees, all of its stakeholders, and gives a, a direction and an energy uh, for a company to go towards um, that contributes to some sort of higher order social or environmental benefit as well. Awesome. And you know, you you talk about this as the purpose revolution, and certainly there's been quite a lot of, of interest, even even the business roundtable, kind of one of the leading CEO organizations has updated their their message in terms of the purpose or the role of, of the corporation and how it needs to be broader than just delivering shareholder value, which was kind of their position for many, many years. So mm. how is this new, um, this, this kind of movement towards purpose? Has it always been here or is it something that's kind of changed in the last few years and certainly over the last year? It's certainly accelerated and coalesced in the last few years, right? So there's always been counter movements, you know, within business. There's been, um, you know, even going back to the 60s, you know, counterculture um, fueled a lot of uh, brands and companies uh, with this ethos of conscious capitalism, right? Um, you've seen the rise of the B Corp movement. There are over 3,500 B Corp certified companies. We are proud to be one of them. Conspiracy of Love is a B Corp who, are, who have made a public commitment that creating positive impact is part of the reason they exist, you know, and it's core to how they exist. Um, and, and so there have been, uh, you know, outlier companies as well, like Patagonia, who've been doing this for decades way before it became, you know, mainstream. So it's always been there, but I, I think what's happening right now, but I'll tell you my thesis, like even before COVID, and I'll tell you my thesis of what COVID did, right? So even before COVID, there was kind of this dawning realization that capitalism hadn't worked, right? It mm. had given us the twin engine, the twin evils of systemic inequality, rampant systemic inequality, where 0.0001% of the planet controlled more than the bottom 60%, which is just horrific. And climate, the climate crisis. I refuse to call it climate change, by the way. That's just uh, a rubbish term to make it sound less threatening. I prefer to call it the climate apocalypse. That's, that gives it the respect <laughs> it deserves, right? But it's led to massive social and environmental breakdowns, right? So there was this dawning realization that the system that we're all beholden to, which is capitalism, hadn't worked for the vast majority of us, hadn't worked for the planet. And so there was a reevaluation happening, um, especially when you take into account, like here's a startling fact, 
um, according to Gallup's State of the Workplace poll, when people globally were asked how many people felt happy and engaged at work, only 15% said, yes, I am happy and engaged mm. at work. Right? So there's a massive discontent, dissatisfaction amongst the global workforce. All this is before COVID. Then COVID hit, right? Yeah. And it just, I think, was a global moment of trauma. It still is a global moment of trauma where that was like the straw that broke the camel's back for many people, where they just went, wait a minute, what is going on? Um, and for those of us who were blessed with the resiliency to still have a job, to have a home, who weren't going through the incredibly traumatic um, things that you know people are going through in this country around unemployment and you know we're, we're spending time with our families and for a year we have not had to almost put on the mask that we put on when we go to work and we just pretend like everything's okay and you know it forced us to be human and I can tell you that in the last six to eight months it has just accelerated this conversation around legacy both personal legacy as human beings, but also what is the legacy of the companies that we work for, the companies that we lead, and how should they show up in the world as well? Absolutely. So two questions just to give people a little bit uh, more of a feel for your work, and then I'm going to open it up to questions because I want to make sure that we're giving the audience a chance to to, to ask, ask you questions. So the first is just really I want to get into just the premise of both of your books so mm -hmm. that uh, people have a, a feel for what good is the new cool is. So mm -hmm. let's start with uh, your first bestseller, Good is the New Cool, Market Like You Give a Damn, um, which was really focused on on branding and marketing. But maybe just yeah. a, a quick minute or two on sure. the premise for that book. Sure. So because Bobby and I were marketers, that's where we started, right? And we started to look at the fact that marketing itself was broken there was the disintegration of the traditional advertising model caused by ad blocking caused by ad free streamings you know netflix and everything where marketers who had been busy building things that everybody was trying to avoid was suddenly stuck with going well what are we here to do uh what's our job uh and and we realized that there had to be a new model that was not a top-down command and control, I'm going to make a TV ad and there's only three TV channels so I can spend you know, $10 million and reach everybody. That world is gone, right? And our thesis was that there had to be a purpose-driven model where brands were of service to their communities, right? And so at the heart of the book, there's a, there's a seven-step model of marketing which starts with knowing your purpose, knowing why your brand exists, thinking about people as citizens, not consumers, and thinking about the broad range of issues you can connect with them on, um, solving problems in their lives from the everyday to the epic. That's the service bit. And, and in doing so, triggering another principle, which is people are the new media, which is today in a world of social media, you know, 3 billion, 4 billion people on social media, 
it is possible to get word of mouth at scale, but only if you authentically do something that's positive. Mm -hmm. And this is before Pepsi and Kendall Jenner, before Nike and Colin Kaepernick, before the explosion of brands wading into social territories. Um, and it was just our thesis as to how brands could be better citizens. And then remarkably, this whole topic took off in a way that we could not have predicted. We've been writing this book since 2011, by the way. The book only came out in 2016. And so we were um, as amazed as anybody else as to what happened in this new world where people expect brands to have a social conscience, expect them to take stands, expect them to stand up for values. And that is what fuels a lot of our work now, conspiracies, helping these brands figure out what causes to focus on, how to show up with them authentically, how to be allies, and, and how to do more good in the world. Thanks. And your second book, Principles of Purpose, is more focused on on companies, right? So tell us a little yeah. bit about the and, and by the way, when is that coming out? When are we gonna see this? June <laughs> June twenty second is open right, comes cool. out. You can go to goodasanewcool.com and pre order it right now, but it will be available globally on Amazon June twenty second. Um cool. so since 2016, as we got into this work with brands, we realized that brands only had a limited amount of power in the world to really affect change. Most of a brand's spend is locked up in advertising and media, and so it's got very little wriggle room in order to do something. It can still do remarkably powerful things, right? Brands can change the cultural conversation. Brands can, can help people be, feel seen and do a lot of things. But the real power in a corporation is in the CEO, right? And that's where we started to see things like the business roundtable announcement you just mentioned, Rob, right? 181 of the United States' most you know, progressive and largest CEOs, companies of CEOs, stood up and said, we're going to make our businesses become more values driven and become more purpose driven and we realized that none of them had a clue as to what a roadmap would look like to do that <laughs> to try, you know to transform a company into a purpose driven one it's like taking a like a fossil fuel car stripping out the engine and putting an electric motor in the middle of it like it is hard right mm. and so we said all right let's try and write a book for them and so we spent the last 4 years going into companies like Tesla, Patagonia, Chobani, Airbnb, Mattel, you know, Unilever, Procter & Gamble. And none of these companies are doing purpose perfectly, by the way. But they all had something interesting going on as a case study. Um, Patagonia's supply chain is incredible. Um, what Tesla does with design is incredible. Um, you know, each of them had, had an, something intriguing going on. And we went and spoke to people inside these companies and, and interviewed them and said, these are the people who were who doing this. And our question was like, how did you do that? Like, how did you manage to pull off this thing um, in your supply chain or in your product innovation that made it more purpose-driven? And our thesis is then by assembling all of those disparate stories and examples into a set of these nine principles of purpose, which is where the title of the book comes from. We could at least provide CEOs with a, uh, a broad set of ideas with which to guide this transformation, 
and inspire them with stories of people inside some of the biggest companies on the planet who are actually doing it to say this is possible uh, and 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 give them that inspiration and innovation that I think they are looking for so badly right now. Terrific, thank you. Well, we have one of the most purpose-driven industries in the world. Mm. You, know, you wouldn't get into this industry if you weren't purpose-driven. So I want to give some of the purpose-driven people who uh, are with us yeah. this evening a chance to get in on the conversation and ask some questions. So maybe we can open it up now. And Susanna, since both uh, Aftel and I are pretty uh, uh, pretty much novices on this, you're mm -hmm. going to help us with some of the questions, I think. Uh, so if yes. you have a question, you can raise your hand. Yes, everyone, I just opened the raise hand question thing to everybody. If you have a question for uh, Afdal or Rob, please go ahead down at the bottom. There's a little hand with the sheet of paper. You can click that and ask to be brought up to the stage. Uh, just a quick reminder, uh, short comments are always welcome. We ask that you don't pitch, but we are really excited to hear all of your questions. Um, and please don't be shy in coming up. So... Feel free to raise your hand whenever before that happens or as that happens. I do want to ask one of the questions that we got through the Twitter DMs. Um, so this question comes from Alex. It says, uh, how do you both decide which types or outlets for good that you spend time on? I'm sure that you have a lot of, this part's editorialized for me, but I'm sure that you both have a lot of things that you're available to do, people are asking you for your support all the time. How do you choose where you spend your time for good? You want to start, Aftel, or you want to you, you go for it. I need to think sure. about this, Rob. You go ahead, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, look, um, thank you for your, your comment, Alex, because it gives me a chance to talk a little bit about Life Science Cares, because that's basically how I spend my time <laughs> for good. And um, my sense is, as I said, I do believe that that our industry is filled with people who um, who care deeply about the world. They wouldn't be in this in this line of work if they didn't. Um, but they're and, and frankly, what they do every day by creating medicines to help human health, that is a obviously a very noble and purpose-driven endeavor. But, it also is, is a very long-term endeavor and often is somewhat disconnected from the social issues that exist right now in your community, wherever you, wherever you live and work. And so what Life Science Cares does is it allows organizations large and most importantly small that don't have the resources to have their own kind of corporate social responsibility, although I call it corporate social opportunity because responsibility make it, makes it seem like it's something that uh, is burdensome. I think what Octel uh, is, is basically pointing out here is that there's an opportunity for companies to embrace um, social change and that is beneficial. It's beneficial to the company's employees, it's beneficial to the company's shareholders. And so what we do is we provide a vehicle for that for that um, uh, purpose, if you will. We provide a vehicle for people to care actively. So we pick the best nonprofits and then basically work with them on lots of social issues from you know, racial uh, uh, inequity to health inequity to um, uh, issues involved with just, just basic human survival. So that's how I spend my time. And what I love uh, is seeing the industry embrace this idea 
as we now have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of companies in Boston, San Diego, Philadelphia, and in the San Francisco Bay Area, and their leaders who are all coming together to uh, make a difference against poverty in this way. And I actually have a question for you, Rob. Sure. Which is, to to that point exactly, right? Biotech is already a purpose-driven industry by virtue of the products it creates. Why do you think there is such a hunger amongst people in the biotech industry to come and partner with Life Science Cares? What what is the unmet need that you guys are filling for people who are already in a purpose-driven industry? Yeah, well, I think it goes back to your work. I mean, I, I do believe that everyone is impacted by the issues in the world today. Um, and I think, again, the, the, the unmet need that we're filling is people who care about humanity because, and they get into this work because they want to make medicines to improve human health. They, they don't go home and then say, well, I've checked my purpose at the door. That's all I'm going to do. <laughs> These are the same people that are going to care about all the other issues that exist today right in front of their face. Um, but they're busy. And oftentimes their companies, particularly in the biotech community, are small. They're not profitable. They don't have a lot of resource to uh, be engaged in anything other than the endeavor in which they're working and maybe the patient communities that they're trying to help. So what we provide is a way to connect to those issues of today. And I think that um, is very, very important, not just for the individuals to have an outlet to care, but also for the companies and for the senior leaders. Um, you know, you, it, it's hard to say that you're a, if you're a Moderna or a Pfizer and you've done such an amazing job with helping all of us to uh, survive this pandemic, um, to, to know that you have people in your backyard who are struggling with being able to eat, um, or, or even, even more directly, being able to have access to that vaccine because of either cultural reasons or, or otherwise. We provide a vehicle to actually help with those issues, both for the company as a whole, but also for their employees. So um, that's the unmet need that I think we, we provide. Mm. We connect people who are very purpose-driven with the issues that are impacting them and their families today. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. And you know, the thing that we haven't talked about is personal purpose, right? And I think that's where actually book number three is going to be about <laughs> that topic because I'm kind of saving it for the last because it's the most complex, right? But the realization we had was that, you know, first of all, purpose is fueled in multiple places in your life, right? There isn't just one place that it comes from. You can, being a, a, a parent is an enormously meaningful, powerful thing that gives people a lot of purpose. Um, being, uh, doing something positive in your community, in your neighborhood, uh, volunteering has historically been a, a terrific place. Um, you know, people get purpose from your, your faith, your religion, right? Uh, ironically enough, the one place that you never expected people people never expected to have purpose was in their work. Uh, it was almost like miraculous if you found it in your work. You're like, oh, oh that person's found their calling. You know, it was kind of like a, a rare thing. And, and that's why it's so ironic that there is this new expectation that your work should, the place that you spend, the place you're going to spend the most amount of your time, more time than with your family, well, shouldn't that also give you a sense of purpose and meaning, you know, and I think that is the, 
the void that companies are trying to uh, fill now when they see people say, I want my work to matter. I don't want my work to just be about a, a you know, a quarterly profit goal. It's not enough. When I look back at my life, I do want to feel like I did something. Um, and I think that's where I suspect the, the role that life science cares is that they, even though people are already in the biotech industry, which they can, you know, on an abstract level, see that their work in developing technology or developing vaccines helps humanity, there's still a part of themselves that needs that human connection to be able to go into a neighborhood or to go and work, do some work and meet another human being. I feel like that's another way, another layer uh, of human connection that people are, are looking for. Um, and that's why they, they come and work with Life Science Cares because it fills that void. Awesome. So I, I want to talk a little bit about um, about employees. Just thinking as a CEO now, um, at Cubis, which is where I worked, we you, we could kind of define our culture in three words: it was patience, it was employees, and it was community. Um, and those were were different, and that's one of the reasons why I think we had a differentiated culture, if I uh, can be so bold. Um, and it be because not every company would define themselves with those three words. But we we mm. basically believed that you had to put patients first, and I think a lot of lot of biotech companies certainly say that. Mm. Um, we lived it, um, but we also felt like if we treated our employees well, we would attract the best. And the best employees who really cared about the world and cared about patients also, you know, as I just said, cared about issues that related to the community, and mm -hmm. therefore we punched above our weight in terms of what we did out in the community. So I wanna talk a little bit about um, how, if you're a CEO and you're thinking about, okay, how should I embed purpose in my organization? What benefit will it bring to me? Um, how will employees uh, uh, kind of react to that? You, you talk about um, new worker activism uh, mm. in, in, in some of your book. Tell me a little bit about what you mean by that and, and, and how it kind of uh, uh, manifests for senior leaders. Yeah, this is fascinating. You know, so our, our thesis in the new book is that this purpose revolution is being driven by three tectonic shifts, right? So the rise of conscious consumers, right? That's that's um, brand, what the brand needs to think about. Um, the rise of impact investors, which is if you're you know a publicly traded company or, or even if you're looking for VC money, there is increasingly purpose-driven capital out there who are looking at the good you do as the criteria as to whether they should invest in you. Um, perhaps the most fascinating is is the, what we call the rise of activist employees. And activist is a very strong word, which I'll explain in, in a second. But we started to see this data which said, basically the headline is, purpose and a paycheck is the new expectation. It's the new normal. Especially when it comes to millennials and Gen Z employees. They're just, uh, as a new uh, attitude and by, by the way, this is driven by the 2008 financial crisis, right? So think about this. There's an entire generation that watched their parents work in a job they may have hated, right? Only to save up money for a house, which disappeared in the mortgage crisis, a pension 401k that disappeared, and mm -hmm. they were left with nothing. And they were like, why the hell would I do that again, right? Yeah. And so the thesis is, 
I'm going to go try and find a job where I do actually care about what I'm doing and I do feel like I'm doing something meaningful. And that way, even if the, the, the 401k and the house disappears, at least I look back and go, okay, I did something good with my life, right? So don't underestimate the impact that had on, on, on how people saw the traditional kind of, you know, career path. Um, secondly, when you go and look at the data, by the way, across every age cohort, this is not just millennials and Gen Z, and this is boomers, this is Gen X. Uh, when you ask people, what do you want out of a career? Um, the one no, number one thing is I want to make a you know positive impact in my organization. Number two is I want to work on things which have a social or environmental benefit. This is number two, right? Across every age cohort. Now that's interesting because that reveals an underlying desire for people who want to do something that's substantive and meaningful and positive, right? What's happened in the last 12 to 18 months is the rise of what we call employee activism, where employees are openly revolting against leadership publicly. Hmm. Yeah. Writing letters to the New York Times, going on strike. Google had 20,000 employees go on strike um, in protest against payments to alleged sexual harassers. Um, this has happened in multiple companies. Um, look at what happened with Facebook around the election when Facebook employees protested um, hate speech on the, on the platform. Um, look at what happened with Adidas last summer where in the wake of Black Lives Matter, the black employees of Adidas said, for a brand built on black culture and excellence in sport, mm. you're not treating us with the level of respect we deserve they shut down the Portland office for three days and they got the chief human resources officer fired. 150 wow. employees got together and got the CHR fired, right? This is becoming the new normal where your employees are saying, you know those values you have up on your plaque of you know, uh, diversity, inclusion, respect? You better live up to them because if you don't, we, are, the employees, are going to hold you the CEO responsible. It's interesting because, you know, um, I think that there could potentially be a reckoning um, for companies and not just biotech, but all companies around um, the George Floyd murder. Um, if, if you think about last year and all of the statements um, and social media proclamations that companies and CEOs were making at yeah. the time, um, Employees are watching, <laughs> and yeah. so you know I do think that it will be interesting to see what happens now that we're a year out, um, and whether people are being held to account on whether they're actually yeah. living the statements that they um, so I, so proud I'll, proudly stated. Yeah, I, I will tell you the best way I can summarize it. If you're if you're a leader trying to think about this, is um, it used to be that you didn't talk about politics at work. Um, and you could draw a line in the sand and say, no, we don't talk about that here. That line is disappearing because the political has become personal. Hmm. For your black employees or for women employees who are discriminated against, the legislation that is out there that is discriminatory is something which affects them personally. Um, police 
you know, brutality towards minorities is something which affects them personally. So if you as an, a leader don't stand up and talk about it and protest it, your silence is complicity. Your silence mm. is now is now noted as 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 being um, negative in a way it didn't used to be. It used to be that CEOs could just be quiet about it, but they can no longer do that. And so this is this fascinating moment wherein where there is a new expectation amongst employees that you're going to sit there and and espouse. Um, leadership values then you better back up the promise with the proof and show real moral leadership when the rubber hits the road so let me dig down on that because that uh, i know a lot of ceo friends um would hear that and it would make them nervous because mm -hmm. they're thinking hey look you know um uh what, what was the, michael jordan had a great uh, uh line around when people asked him why he wasn't more involved in in um, politics, he said Republicans buy tennis shoes too, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. So yeah. his point was, I don't want to, I don't want to do anything that that uh, that is going to piss off half of my uh, my my shareholders or my board um, mm -hmm. or my employees. So how do you, you know, what advice do you give people? Because by putting yourself out there, you do run the risk that. Um, others are going to be upset with the stance that you're taking. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Putting yourself out there. <laughs> yeah. people up. Being <laughs> silent means you're going to piss half the people off. So yeah. let's just figure – this is the, yeah, just first of all, you have to accept this is the new normal, right? But then having said that, here's a couple of things we would advise you to do. First of all, you have to go out there and really understand what's going on amongst your employees. What are the things they really – deeply passionately care about and you have to be inclusive you have to be empathic and you have to listen and understand what's going on to really get a gauge of it um, you cannot sit in an ivory tower and listen to your direct reports tell you you have to get out there and talk to people and understand what's going on secondly you have to know your own values you have to know what you really believe in as a human being not as a ceo but like what do you really care about what do you really feel about the issues of the day? Uh, what's your position on them, right? Because um, that creates its own dissonance if, if you can't speak up about something that you really feel passionate about. Um, and then thirdly, you have to look at the business. You have to look at your customers. You have to really understand who they are and, and figure out which positions you want to um, take a swing at which positions you're just going to stay silent on. But even in the latter, you better make sure you have a position, hmm. a defensible position, even if it's, um, I'm going to respectfully sit this one out. And then it's your job to triangulate between those constituencies, your employees, yourself, your customers, the world, and figure out um, what to say or what not to say. Um, it's not easy. But this is the new normal, I think, if you want to be a leader. And one of your principles uh, is is that um, purpose is not political. Um, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, this is there's kind of like a set of principles which is almost paradoxical in the book. Two of the nine. One is purpose is about putting your money where your mission is, right? Mm -hmm. And and that means. Truly purpose-driven companies, when the rubber hits the road and when they're 
they're they're faced between standing up for a principle or risk losing money slash customers the truly purpose-driven ones the ones that really win the respect are the ones who say we're prepared to list, risk losing money because our, our this is our values are not for sale right and you see this time and time again you see this with um, um, Delta when they cut ties with the NRA and got threatened by I think it's a 40 million dollar tax uh, losing a tax benefit by the Georgia state legislature unless they reinstated ties with the NRA and said that's that that's actually a quote Ed Bastian the CEO of Delta said our values are not for sale um, you see it with CVS sacrificing two billion dollars of revenue in cigarette sales because they said we're a healthcare company and we can't in good conscience sell cigarettes mm-hmm. and sell healthcare at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. That took some guts. Two billion dollars, you know, it's, it's a hefty chunk of revenue. You see it with uh, Dick Sporting Goods saying, hey, we're very sorry, but we're not going to sell assault rifles. We're not going to sell this class of weapons. We're going to take a massive write down. We may have to even destroy these weapons, but we just can't in good conscience in the wake of Parkland sell these weapons anymore right so there are instances of real moral courage and i think that's where people watch and appreciate that right um the paradoxical principle is you don't have to get political to do purpose right politics should be saved for activist companies who are able to pull off that kind of tightrope act patagonia can do that when they you know, announce that they're suing the president over federal lands. Nike can do that when it announces its partnership with Colin Kaepernick. 99.9% of companies shouldn't mm-hmm. try and do that because activism will suck the life out of you and it will just be all-consuming. Instead, look at the vast majority of things that there's broad bipartisan support for. Like, everybody wants you know, safer neighborhoods, better opportunities for themselves, you know, better education for kids. Go work on that stuff. That, you know, like the, the stuff that life science cares does. Nobody's gonna say, hey, we shouldn't help out this marginalized community in Boston by giving them better access to healthcare. No one's complaining about that. You know, so go and work on that. That's what we say. Purpose doesn't have to be political um, if you find that right path for you. And let's talk a little bit about that from from the biotech community. Is obviously I'm biased and, and think life science care is a great vehicle for people to um, add purpose to their to their company. Um, but if if companies are are thinking about ways, one of the things that you and I talked about uh, at lunch was um, access to healthcare and and essentially health inequity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if, if we were kind of just brainstorming and I was a CEO thinking about how can I, how can I go beyond life science cares and, uh, and, and think about more purpose for my company, maybe a way to do that would be to tie my brands more to how to increase access to healthcare. Everybody has, everybody has a patient assistance program to help, um, help, you know, people who can't afford our products to be able to access, but um, I'm wondering if there's ideas on on ways to partner on the broader problem of uh, yeah it, it, unequal access to care. Yeah, and and you and I talked about this, and as 
a strategically appropriate place for the biotech industry to focus on, right? So one of the differences about purpose versus charity is if if you do purpose right, it's, it's part of your business strategy, right? It ties into your growth model. So I'll give you an example. With Adidas, right, a client that we've worked with for a long time, one of their platforms is around improving access to sport for women and girls. Uh, girls drop out of sport at one and a half times that of boys. What is the financial, not only is it the right thing to do to stop that, right, um, which is why they've invested in programs around sport and girls, but think about the long-term potential of bringing tens of millions of young girls and, in, and women into sport. What do you think they're going to need when they start playing sport? They're going to need shoes and apparel, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's kind of the same thing with healthcare. If you think about the broader purpose of all healthcare companies, which is helping people live healthier lives, um, you guys do that through biotech and pharma, but there are thousands of organizations out there who have that same um, purpose, right? Nonprofits in your very own neighborhood. Um, and so by one of the principles in the first book was find your allies. And if you can find allies with common purpose, who believe in serving the same communities and people that you do, that's the best way to do it. You join forces. Um, you and I talked about this incredible woman um, you, who started creating clinics, right? Rob, remind mm-hmm. me again who she was. Yeah, so, yeah, th- this is uh, Lash Nolan, who is the... Um, who is a force of nature and also the first African-American woman to be president of the class at Harvard Medical School. And Lash and her group uh, called We Got Us is working with um, uh, another group under the leadership of a physician named Alistair Martin called Get Out, called Got Vax, or basically Get Out the the Vaccine, which is Mm. using, using the same principles of getting out the vote um, and the same tactics, frankly, to get access to people in the inner city, people in underserved communities that for lots of yeah. reasons aren't being vaccinated. And Life Science Cares is is helping uh, to make all of this happen as well. So yeah. that's a great example of the industry partnering to essentially we are helping people get more vaccine, which is helping the companies that are involved in that, but clearly making a difference um, for, for everyone uh, on, a, yes. on a global problem. Exactly. I see we have a, a person, Sam, uh, you're on, and I want to make sure that we're able to get to your question. It's, it's more it's more just uh, uh, to build on, on what both uh, Optel and you, Rob, said, I think, is part of this uh, really terrific conversation. Um, you know, I think in, as, a, as somebody who works in biotech, we've thought a lot about um, how to solve uh, problems, e- even as a small company, uh, you know, and particularly problems of access to healthcare, and you know, I think for companies that are preclinical or uh, early stage clinical, it's tough to do if you don't have a if you're yeah. not making a medicine, right? Then then how are you going to improve access? You know, as a physician and someone who trained in a in a state medical school, uh, family practice, uh, you know, uh, was an important part of that uh, that state medical school because you knew that people who became doctors in their neighborhoods tended to stay in their neighborhoods, and and this is true, I think, for underrepresented groups in this country. There is a healthcare access problem due to the lack of, you know, physicians 
uh, and nurses and other people willing to work in underserved areas. And so, you know, one thing that we that we've done is we've created an internship program for high school students. And it's really the thought being mm. if we can get people in early and get them to understand the power of science and the power of medicine to make it, uh, you know, a difference. It may be one kid who maybe one day says, all right, I'm going to go to medical school. But if it's somebody who would have never otherwise been exposed and it takes nothing, it takes eight weeks of our time to teach somebody the basic language of biotech and get them excited about where we're, what we're working on. But we really think that even those small efforts can bend the curve. And in the aggregate, I think it's something that the biotech community can do. It's really leading by example and it costs nothing, just a little bit of time and caring. So listen, I, I think this is a remarkable conversation and I would really encourage you know, companies to just work backwards from what the problem there is to try they're, that they're trying to solve. If it's access, then why are there why is there a healthcare access problem in terms of practitioners or in terms of medicines or clinics? And then just keep backing up until you can find something where you can bend the curve a little bit. That's awesome. Thank you, Sam. And and just to, to pivot a little bit on your comment as well on on internships. You know, um, I I speak to a lot of companies that want to talk about diversity, uh, equity, and inclusion. Um, and frankly, a big part of, of um, that problem is we aren't accessing talent from everywhere. Um, we have a program at Life Science Cares called Project OnRap. And this year, I think this summer, we're gonna put 125, 150 students from underserved communities, first-generation college students, and students that frankly don't go to, you know, Harvard and MIT, they're at UMass Boston, they're at, um, they're at, you know, uh, uh, Framingham State, but extraordinary students, extraordinary minds, um, getting them an internship and getting them access to our community is life changing for, for them and frankly for the companies because the companies realize, wow, there's talent at these places where we're not looking. So um, another way of, and I think the, the, the benefit there is if, if companies can do that, we're gonna turn on talent that we've just not accessed before. Imagine the ideas, the creativity, and the productivity that can come from a whole new world of, of resource for, for our workforce. So um, I think there's amazing opportunity to tap into internships as a powerful vehicle for our community. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, so much of the work, we spend a lot of time trying to inspire people who've seen it all, right? But think about yeah. what would happen if we turn that spotlight on people who have not seen any of this and the impact that it could have on their lives. So, you know, really appreciate the conversation. Thanks for letting me comment. Thanks, Sam. Thank you very much. Well, um, after I, I don't want to, um, uh, and by the way, if anyone else has questions, please raise your hand, but I also want to make sure that I'm not taking up too much of your time. Um, uh, I do want to- I actually would love to ask a question. Um, Go ahead. It's a question that I have, but I also know that some of the other, a lot of the other folks that end up listening to the recordings and things like that are, are younger folks. And after you said something really interesting saying, um, you know, where the power lies. Ooh, we have Luke Timmerman come up as well. Um, where the power lies is often really with the CEO. Um, how do you propose that people who aren't at the CEO level, people who are in middle, lower tiers of a company start affecting that kind of change where they are? Or is, is there any wiggle room to do it unless you're at the top? No, uh, this is a great question. Thank you for that. You know, we wrote this next book for leaders and 
for us, leadership has no title. You can be a leader at any position in a company. You can be, this could be your first day on the job and you can be a leader. Leadership is a state of mind, right? And so what we see in our work when we go into these you know, companies around the world is leaders at every level. And these are the people, and by the way, 80% of our clients at Conspiracy of Love are women, by the way. I just want to point this out. It's the women who are like rolling their sleeves up and getting to work in the most remarkable mm. way. Um, leadership happens at any level. And what you got to understand is that you have a tremendous amount of power. If you're inside a company, you have a tremendous amount of power. Just by virtue of your position, your resources, you have more power than 99% of the people on the planet. Right? Mm. If you're working for a company in the United States, if you're a, you know, a brand manager, a VP, a, whatever that is, your power is exponential compared to a lot of other people. In fact, we, get, we, we say to people, if you're looking for purpose, like, please don't quit your day job. You may feel compelled to go like, quit and go, like, I'm going to go work for a small nonprofit and do something meaningful. And we're like, no, please don't do that. You are way more powerful exactly where you are. Instead, here's a couple of things you can do. First of all, think about what really makes you passionate, right? And, and we use this methodology called GPS, which is what are your gifts? What are your corporate superpowers? Things that you're just naturally good at. What are you, the P is what are you passionate about? And this is passion as a citizen. Like what are the issues and causes that get you mad that break your heart? Really understand yourself and say, this is what I'm passionate about. And the S is how you can be of service. And that's being of service to your colleagues, service to your um, company, to your community, to the people around you. Because true purpose is not about yourself, it's really about others. So spend some time triangulating that on understanding what you care about. And then number two, go and find somebody else. Because there's always gonna be somebody else in the company who feels the same way. and. You may know them, they may, be, you know, may not know them, but go find an ally because suddenly then you're not alone. And that's how one becomes two, two becomes three, three becomes five, and five becomes a movement inside companies. You know? So that's what I'd say. Don't worry about where you are. Know that you have a lot of power. Triangulate your purpose and find your allies and start from there. Awesome. Luke, let's bring you uh, up. Luke, if, if there was a poster child for purpose in our industry, it'd be Luke, um, <laughs> who is amazing, uh, who's an amazing writer, um, but also has done so much for cancer um, research and um, also is, uh, is really being helpful with Life Science Cares as well. So Luke, uh, what's your question for Aftel? Well, yeah, thanks, uh, guys, for taking my question. Um, and I'll say that, uh, Rob, I remember you recommended Offdale's book to me a few months ago, and I got it. And, and so I'm trying to adopt some of the principles. I, I guess, um, Offdale, um, I'm curious, what are some common objections that you hear from people who are kind of interested and in sort of, you know, trying to find a way to act on their purpose, but um, they're not really sure how to start. You know, I, I can imagine things like people just saying, gosh, I'm, I'm really busy at work or um, I, th these problems are so big. I don't know where to start. You know, 
Mm-hmm. Are, are there some common things that you hear and, and what are your comebacks to those? Yeah, you know, purpose is not for everybody, right? Uh, you have to be at a certain place in your life and in your mind to want to take it on, right? So it's this classic Maslow hierarchy of needs. If you're at the very bottom, at the very start of your uh, career, and you know, I always say your 20s are about just hoping not to get fired, right? You're just like, please don't <laughs> fire me. Let me just get through this. And then your 30s are about, you know, like your title and, oh, I want to be the, you know, so-and-so of this and, you know, and, and, and so you're kind of working your way up from those basic survival needs to feeling a little bit happier and, you know, more content. And then something happens when you get to a certain point in your life, and this is different to everybody, where it's not enough, where you're like, something is missing. I don't know what it is. And that's the point I'm interested in talking to you. There's no point trying to force purpose into somebody's life if they're not ready for it. But I do know there is a massive hunger out there amongst lots of people at, at all stages of their career where they're like, I want my life to matter. I want the work I do to matter. I want it. I want to feel proud about it now. And I want to look back at it at the end of my life and go, I did something positive in whatever humble way it was, whether it was towards one individual or whether it was towards your, your neighborhood, your community or the planet. And so I, I don't spend time trying to like force people who aren't ready for it. It's kind of like this, that rumor that Patagonia ad where they said, don't buy this jacket. It's kind of like that. <laughs> don't buy this jacket if you're not ready for it. <laughs> okay. But um, now you mentioned CEOs earlier uh, and, and also that, you know, this can come from the bottom up or, you know, leaders within organizations come from lots of different places. Do you find that there's a um, a togetherness or a community within a company that can emerge or there's like a critical mass? You know, if you get 10 or 12 or 20 people and something flips where it becomes yeah. this like bonding exercise that that then begins to attract other people in the organization who, who yeah. want to be a part of this. Absolutely. It's about creating a movement inside a company. That's what we see happening. Right. And there's movements of all shapes and sizes. Um, but something does happen when you, you see purpose blossoming inside a company and then it gradually starts to take over um, other parts, other departments as, as a company goes through its transformation. It's The analogy we always use is, we always say purpose is the new digital. And if you imagine the adoption curve of digital and how it started out small and humble and in a few places and is now everywhere in a company, it's kind of like that. And so our job as Conspiracy of Love or through the books we write, the conferences we host, or the speaker, speeches that we do, our job is to fuel that movement. Our job is to be uh, a catalyst, to arm people with inspiration, to arm people with the strategic thinking and the rigor and the discipline to be able to make that business case um, and 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 fire them up and watch them go. So it absolutely is possible to create those movements inside companies, Luke. Great. Thanks, Afdel. I'll uh, I'll step down. Thanks, all. And um, the only thing I would add, Luke, to your question is, um, look, I, I sometimes think people want to. Um, they certainly want to make a difference, and sometimes that difference seems so large and, and just so problematic. Um, that they let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Um, mm. Just doing 
one thing. And, and again, I, what, what Life Science Cares isn't the only channel, but our goal is to be able to say, hey, look, we're one place. Just follow us on Twitter. Um, you know, uh, check out the website. We're going to have a bunch of different opportunities for you to engage, to find something that speaks to you so that um, you can give back to the community, either as a company, uh, as a group within a company, or as an individual. So you don't have to search forever. You don't have to quit your job. Um, you might just have one afternoon a month um, to spend 30 minutes, but we can find something for you in that uh, 30 minutes to actually make a difference and change the world. So that's whether it's Life Science Cares or something else, there are places out there that can help to be a kind of vehicle for caring so you don't have to, it doesn't have to be so hard. Uh, it, it can, we can make it easier. So look, we're at, we're at the hour and um, I just wanna say thanks to um, both to Susanna and Chris, first of all, for um, allowing us to um, hijack, your, hijack the biotech clubhouse <laughs> a little bit uh, this, this week. Um, obviously to Akdel for your time, both at the Impact Breakfast and today, and to all of you for being with us um, I certainly hope you'll um, you'll follow Aptel uh, both on this uh, uh, on this uh, format as well as uh, all the other social media channels. You'll you'll check out Good is the New Cool and buy his book Principles of Purpose uh, when it comes out in June. And um, I hope that you'll follow either me uh, on Twitter or uh, Life Science Cares so that uh, you can keep abreast of all the things that we're doing in the major biotech hubs. If we're not in your area, we're coming. So um, let us know and we'll make sure that we can put you to work to uh, help to change the world in your, your area. So thank you very much, everybody. Um, much appreciated and I look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks, everybody. Thanks so much.